pursued. The series we've been in over the last couple of weeks is, uh, has been a pretty, pretty amazing series. In fact, um, if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go to our website or go to our podcast, uh, download the last couple of messages or listen to the last couple of messages. Uh, I, I'm not saying this, but I, I've had more comments and more people say, like, it's the best I've ever spoken in my entire life. And so it uh, makes me feel really horrible about the rest of my messages. But apparently the last two weeks have been unbelievable, according to some other people. So I, I'll just give you that little tidbit this morning. But we're glad that you're here with us. I, I'm glad to be here. I almost didn't make it over. This is the first time I've ever driven back and forth where I was basically late for every service and and was wondering if I was actually going to make it back in time to speak today. So you almost had Jessica back there who runs ProPresenter speaking for you this morning. I don't know what she's going to talk about, but she said it was going to be awesome. So maybe next week, maybe next week. Anyways, uh, if you guys want to turn to the book of Hosea chapter 6, that's where we'll be hanging out. We've been in this series the last couple of weeks and, and it, we've been really talking about how this this series and this story of Hosea and Gomer is this incredible love story. It's beautiful and tragic. It's, it's got this love that is unbelievable, but yet this, this kind of nastiness that's like, what's up with that aspect to it? And, and throughout this story, what it's been really simulating, what it's really been talking about and showing is, is that, man, we have this God that is madly in love with us. And not only is he madly in love with us, but he pursues us to the ends of the earth and will pay whatever the cost is to get our love for him. And, and, and so we've seen over the last couple of weeks in this story that is, is beautiful and broken at the same time, but yet in the midst of it, it's, it's also amazing because beyond the cross of Jesus Christ in the Bible, there's probably not a better story that shows God's love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy towards us and his desire to give those things in, into our lives than the story of Hosea and Gomer in the book of Hosea. And so over the last couple of weeks, I just want to review a little bit for those of you guys who haven't been here over the last couple of weeks. We kind of broke this book down into four parts, and, and, and we'll throw them up on the screen for you. In Act number 1, it, it says, Hosea receives an unusual instruction from God. And we've talked about this, that God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute, um, not a normal kind of request from God. So don't be expecting that one in your life. But he asks Hosea to do that. And so Hosea's like, say what? Like, you want me to bring a prostitute home to mom? Like, that is not a good idea. Uh, but he does, and, and, she, and, and he's obedient to that. And then Act 2 over time, Hosea falls in love with Gomer. So he marries this woman. She's a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. And, uh, and so, man, he marries her. He falls in love with her. It's kind of pretty woman all over again. I mean, can you imagine this woman who's broken, who's, who's destitute, who's, who's got so much pain and so much guilt in her life from the things that she's done? This guy just, in spite of all that, just falls head over heels in love with her. And so he thinks the marriage is great and that it's going really well. And then Act 3 happens and, and Gomer has an affair and Hosea is crushed. Um, which you can imagine that if you're head over heels for somebody and you think everything is going great in the relationship, you're like, man, we've got it going on. Like we're healthy. It's going well. We have good communication. And then one day you wake up and your spouse isn't there and they've gone back to their old lifestyle. Oh, and by the way, their old lifestyle used to be uh, like prostitution. So like they're out there working the streets. It's probably going to crush you emotionally. 
And that's exactly where Hosea's at. He's, he's like, man, I've given this woman everything. I've given her love. I've given her a safe place. I've, I've just provided everything, and yet she's gone back to that old lifestyle. And then we see Act 4. Hosea pursues Gomer and buys her back. And Hosea just goes, you know what? I'm going to go after her anyways. And he goes to the deepest, darkest, seediest part of town and finds her and pays an unbelievable price to buy her back because when she went and had an affair with another guy and multiple guys, uh, one of those guys actually, she was no longer Hosea's wife. She became another person's property. And so he had to go and scrounge up enough money to purchase her back. And the idea of buying her back was this idea of redemption. This, this thing where, where God is constantly going after us to try to buy us back. See, we have all have something in our lives that we can't get past. And for her, she was a slave to this man. She was a slave to this, I guess you would call it uh, business. Um, I guess that's a, a practical term. This slave of prostitution. She, she had a pimp. And, and in order for her to be free of her pimp, there had to be a price to be paid by someone. Well, the same thing is true in our lives. We're all slaves to sin. And sin has a price, and the price of sin, in order for it to be remedied in our life, is, is the price of Jesus Christ as a sacrificial lamb who, who came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died, and rose again, and, and is our mediator between us and God. And so it's really, it's really showing the great lengths that God would go to to buy us back, to bring us back into this relationship. And this story isn't just a story of a troubled marriage between Hosea and Gomer. It really, this story is all about the troubled and complex relationship we have with God where we're, we're in a relationship with Him, but yet we have a whole bunch of other lovers on the side. And as much as we don't like to admit it, we all do. We all have things that we run to that, where we should be putting God in His place. And the first week we kind of dove in and we talked about the fact that God pursues us for a relationship even though it's messy. Even though it's messy. And the messy part has nothing to do on God's side. It all has to do on our side. If we were to really be honest and vulnerable about our relationship with God, we would say that, man, there's some issues in our relationship with God. And most of the issues don't deal with God. They deal with us doing and choosing the wrong things to do. They deal with us choosing to continue to live in certain ways. They deal with us in, in choosing to have other lovers. And, and it's really the thing that creates a mess in our relationship. But yet, even in the midst of that, God still pursues us. And then last week, we talked about the fact that, that God pursues us with a grace that is so much greater than our mess. That while a lot of us have created some deep pits of shame and some deep pits of guilt in our life, that God pursues us and doesn't just love us, but gives us this grace that can raise us out of the pits that we find ourselves in life. And if we allow him to do that, what he'll do in our life will totally transform us. And what I want to do today is I just want to kind of talk about, man, the fact that, that God doesn't just want to redeem us. He just doesn't want to save our soul. But God wants to restore our life. He wants to bring us back to this place where we were originally supposed to be with him. It's his ultimate desire more than anything else is to bring us back to relationship with him. And if you look back to the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you see that God was creating. And everything that God would create, he would say was good. So he created the heaven and the earth, and he said it's good. He created light and dark, and he said it's good. He created the birds and the, of the air and the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea, and he said they're good. Then he creates man. And he's like, oh, that's not bad. And then he, he says, 
it's not good for us to be alone. Not meaning like it's not like we have to be like married, like, and so he creates Eve, and so it needs to be in a man and a woman. He's saying, no, it's, it's not good for people to be separated from relationship because what I've designed them for, what I've built them for, the reason they're on this earth is to be in relationship. And so in this time, he creates woman. He says, man, man, now, now man and woman, now it's good. And in that moment, there was nothing separating people from relationship. So there was nothing hindering the relationship with Adam and Eve with each other. And there was nothing hindering the relationship with Adam and Eve and God. In fact, it said God would walk with them the cool of the day and he would talk with them. There was nothing impeding that relationship. It was like the perfect relationship. But sin entered the world and jacked everything up. And all of a sudden there was this, this realization that like, oh man, there's guilt and there's shame in my life and there's all these things and we were hiding from each other. But more than that, we were hiding from God. And ever since that moment, God's ultimate plan has been try to restore that relationship to be back how it was in the Garden of Eden. That's his goal for you and I, so that we could walk with him and we could talk with him in the cool of day, that nothing would separate us from that relationship. In fact, the word restoration actually means to bring back to its original intent. And God's idea is that he wants to bring us back to the original intent, the reason why we are created, to have this relationship with him. And so God doesn't just want to see us redeemed. What God really wants to see is he wants to see us live and walk and talk and be with him. I put it in your, your notes like this, is, is that restoration isn't just getting us back to right relationship, but getting us back to being with God. It isn't back to just having the relationship, but it's back to walking with him and having that, that connection with him that is so beyond just like, salvation and i'm not i'm not downplaying salvation that's an important thing but if that's all we've got in our relationship with god we're, we're missing on what he wants to do in our life we really are we're getting like the the bare minimum of god in our life and so the book of hosea the first part of the book of hosea is all about hosea and gomer's relationship and and the complexities of that and then in chapter six it kind of takes this shift and that's where we're going to focus today, where, where God starts shifting towards his relationship with himself and his people, the children of Israel. And this is what he says to them. And, and, he's, and, and, and keep this all in the mind of this idea that he's trying to bring us back to being with him. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us, that he may live, that we may live in his presence. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, that we would live in God's presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains, and water the earth. And so right here, God is talking about this idea that, man, he wants to go and restore the things that have been broken, the things that have been wounded. He wants to come and bring the things that used to be in the past back into our lives. It's all about the restoration process that God wants to have in our lives. And last week, we started talking about the difference between redemption and restoration. And this is really, really important. So if you missed last week, this is important for you to understand because a lot of times in church, 
what happens is, is we put these two things together. We say redemption and restoration are kind of one and the same. And because we do that, we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. And so we think that because we've been redeemed, because a price has been paid for us, and we've been forgiven, that automatically everything in our life should be perfect and go well. And then we struggle when we look at our lives and we're still dealing with the same junk that we were dealing with before we knew Christ, when we do know Christ. And we're like, what's up with that, God? And what we find is that redemption is an instantaneous thing. The moment we accept Christ, man, we are instantly forgiven and we are instantly bought with a price. But the restoration process doesn't happen like that. It's a little bit more than that. In fact, I'll put it in your notes like this. Redemption is instant, but restoration is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. And some of you might have, have experienced this to some degree, and I'll put it in the context of relationships. How many of you guys have friends? Most, most of you. If you're not raising your hand, we will help get you a friend at the end of service, okay? See somebody at the information table. We will introduce you to someone. They will call you friend, okay? Okay, so, so for the three of you that don't have any friends, uh, you won't understand this. But for the rest of well, maybe you will understand this, okay? Um, we, we've, all, we've all had some friends that have hurt our feelings, haven't we? Or they've said something that, that, wasn't, that was wrong, or they lied to us. Anybody ever had a friend that lied to you? Like, oh man, nothing gets me more than a friend that lies to me. Like, I just want to, yeah. Anyways, um, that's another sermon. Um, but we've all had that, right? And most of the time, when I, in fact, I just had a friend recently that lied to me. And, and, and for most of us, what happens is when that happens in that relationship, what we do a lot of times is we go, mm, man, I don't trust you, but I still want to keep the relationship with you. So I'm going to forgive you of the wrong thing that you did to me. That's the idea of redemption. Like, that's an instantaneous thing. But how many of you guys have some friends that have lied to you that you don't really trust them anymore? Like, they're your friend in that friend kind of sort of way. But, like, it's going to take some time for them to get back in your good graces. Like, you don't believe a freaking word they say. Like, that's, that's like, we're, we're down. We can, like, hang out. We're down with, like, like four flats. Boom! You know, four flat tires right on the ground. Like, we're down like that. But I don't believe a word that you say. It's going to take some time for you to build some trust back up with me. That's the idea of the process of restoration. It's that idea that, man, there's some time that has to take place for you to, to move into being the person that you were supposed to be. Because a true friend, a friend that's like that, wouldn't lie to you. They would, they would say the right things and they would tell you the truth. But instead they do that and it takes some time for you to get back to that level of intimacy in, the pro, in that relationship. Because it takes time. And it takes time for all of us. And, and it takes time for us to look more like Jesus. I, I know when I gave my life to Jesus, I instantaneously didn't look like him. In fact, I have less hair today. And so, like, I'm definitely not moving towards Jesus in that aspect. Redemption is instant, but restoration is a lifelong process. Redemption is choosing, is God choosing us. Restoration is us continually choosing God. This is important because redemption, you had nothing to do with redemption. Redemption is a free gift. You were forgiven and you were saved for free. You just have to choose it. Like you have to say, like, I accept. It's a free gift. All you got to do is accept it. There's nothing you can do to earn redemption. It's already been done. It's already been taken care of. It's already yours if you want it. 
Like there's nothing on your part that you have to do to earn that thing. Because God is tirelessly pursuing us. He's tirelessly going after us because he wants us to be redeemed. He wants us to be a part of his family. That's his desire. Restoration on the other part is us choosing God. Because here's the deal. There's, there's nothing we can do to be redeemed, but restoration has everything to do with our choices. It has everything to do with us choosing God rather than choosing a whole bunch of other lovers in our life. Because the reality is, is that we have choices every single day as to whether we're going to follow God or we're going to follow a whole bunch of other things. And a lot of us choose to follow a relationship or we choose to follow an addiction we have or we choose to follow um, a, a career path that we so want. And we think that those things are the thing that we need and we put those things as the number one thing in our life. And when we do that, that becomes the rule and the reign in our life and it consumes us. But the reality is, is, is that if we want to be restored, we've got to put Jesus in that place because a lot of us are pursuing those things and wondering why our life doesn't look any different. Like, I accepted Jesus. Like, he is now the Lord. Like, he is the Savior of my world in reality because you've been redeemed. But he's not the Lord of your life if you're choosing other things ahead of him. And only when he becomes the Lord of your life can you start to make decisions based on the things that he would have you do. Because this is what I know about all of us. None of us naturally drift towards restoration. Let me put it like this. Um, I'm like a pretty good sinner. Um, that didn't come out right. <laughs> yeah, I let me let this morning, okay. I'm on my way to this campus. Um, it's like 7.30 in the morning, 7.15. And I'm sitting at the corner of Wiles and, uh, or not Wiles, Lions and Sample Road. And I'm sitting there at the light. I'm listening to some praise and worship music because I'm trying to get my heart right for church. And, um, which I've been doing since 3.30 a.m. So that's how jacked up I am. And uh, some guy comes up behind me. The light is red. Come on, you guys all know what I'm, I'm thinking about right here. And the guy behind me starts beeping his horn. Anybody else have this experience in South Florida? My natural reaction was not to turn around and pray for him. It was not to ignore him. It wasn't even to bless him or wave to him with only a single finger. My natural reaction was, is I put my car in park because I have a Prius and that's tough, okay? So I hit the park button, I open up my door, I walk back there, I grab him by the throat and pull him out of his window and beat the living snot out of him. That was what happened in my mind, okay? <laughs> you want to know why? Because I naturally drift towards sin. And let me just give you an FYI, if you ever pull up behind me and honk your horn, I will get out of my car and beat you up, okay? Like, you go to church, like, you know better now. Like, that's, that's wrong. Like, you're sinning, okay? Like, that's punishment unto death. Like, those people straight to hell. Don't collect go straight there. You know, no $200. But I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't choose that this morning. It's the first thought that went through my mind. 
But you know what my next thought was is like, man, I wonder what he's in a hurry about. Because I'm putting Jesus first in my life and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, man, what's going on in his life that, that, that he is so busy and so on a path to get somewhere. Because when I am choosing to put God first, when I'm continually choosing him, he's changing my perspective on everything. Because I'm starting to see like him I'm starting to act like him. I'm starting to respond like him. Doesn't mean that my first thought wasn't to pummel, pummel him. But it's understanding that, man, God, as we choose him and we put him first, he's, he's building a natural response to be like him in our life. That's when we know the restoration process is taking hold inside of us. And the, the other one is restoration isn't something to be earned. It's something to which you surrender. And, and this is the tricky part about restoration because we have a part to play in it. But the part that we play in it isn't to be better. It isn't to do good things. It isn't to say the right Christianese words. It isn't to work harder. It isn't to go to church more. It isn't to serve more. Like that isn't the part that we play because restoration has something to do with us. But you can't work harder and do more things that's not what it's about. The only thing that you can do more to help yourself in the restoration process is surrender. Like, and that isn't the most popular term in the Christian world because restoration isn't doing more stuff. It isn't accomplishing more things for God. It isn't saying the right things for God. It's surrendering more to Jesus every single day of your life. It's going, God, like, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to be doing in my workplace. Like, God, I don't know how to live a, a godly lifestyle and be ethical in business. Like, God, I need your help in that. God, I don't know what it's like to be a, a godly husband or a godly wife. Like, God, show me the way in that. God, I don't know what it's like to, to, to be a Christ follower and have a healthy dating relationship because all I see on TV is promiscuity and going all the way and all this stuff. God, I don't have a clue about any of that stuff. But God, this is what I know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a, any idea what I'm doing. But what I do know is I need your help. And God, I just want your help. And so I surrender to you. Like, man, God, I'm just, I'm here, arms open wide. You come and do what you need to do. I'm surrendering control because the last time I took control, I beat that dude up who honked at me. Like, you're, you're in control. You. The problem that we have with that is that for a lot of us, we live compartmentalized lives, especially when it comes to God. Like, God, um, you know, success. God, this, this box, like, you can be a part of this box in my life, the success box. You can, you can take part in this. Like, I'm going to let you into this area. Um, um, my, my finances, mm, yeah, I guess so, God. Like, you can, you can take part of this life. My relationships, you know what, God? I got this one. But you can take care of that stuff over there. You take control of, of the finances, and you can, can take control of success, but relationships, man, I'm going to find that perfect one for me. Or I'm going to fix this marriage that I have. And we are doing all this activity for God, and we have some of this stuff surrendered, but then we look at our lives and we wonder, why am I not being transformed? Why is my life 
not more like Jesus today. It's because when we keep holding on to things, we're not allowing the transformation process to, to have its full investment in our lives. And this is the thing about God. God is this extraordinary gentleman. And he's never going to force anything on your life. Just like he never forced salvation on you, he said, here's a gift. You can have it if you want it. He's never going to force surrender on you. He's going to say, man, I would love for you to surrender, but the choice is yours. And here's the ironic and, and kind of crazy thing is the freedom that we're all looking for in life is only found in surrender. It's only found in that place when we let go. We think freedom is found by getting better. Freedom is found in complete surrender to God. Because we're no longer in control. God's in complete control. And isn't that what we're all after in life? When God takes complete control, and we don't have to steady the reins of life, but we just got to follow his lead so that we can become what he always desired us to become like, like him. And so those are some really, really awesome statements. But how do we live those out in life? Like, how does that apply reality-wise? And, and I was looking at my life, and I was thinking about, like, what has God done? How has my restoration been in my life? And, and I thought of a couple of things that I just wanted to share with you. Number one, we have to remember the past, but we can't live in it. We can't live in it. Hosea 6.1 says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. See, all of us have a past. Maybe your past isn't very bad in your, in your case, and so you look at your life and you go, like, I don't, I don't really need a lot of grace in life. Or you don't, you've, because you've been so good most of your life, like, you, you've never experienced how awesome God is in loving you in some difficult situations. But my past is jacked up. Like, I think about how bad I screwed up my life at 17, 18, 19 years old. How I became an alcoholic and how it took away opportunities that were so providential for me. I mean, I was going to school on a football scholarship. I was going to be an investment banker and rule the world. That was my plan. Like, and it was a good plan. But I couldn't kick this habit of drinking every single day. And it took me to a point to where I almost died from poisoning, from alcohol poisoning. And I think about that moment where God showed up in my life. And I, I think about how low I was, how I'd just come back from New Orleans where I'd been hospitalized because I'd been so drunk that I passed out in a, in a gutter on Bourbon Street and some random people took me home. You want to talk about screwing your life up. And how God in that moment just radically came in and, and said, man, I love you. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to try to accomplish anymore. Like, like I just accept you right where you are and how that grace and that mercy just transformed me. 
And here's the thing about my past is that I don't live in my past because here's what I know is that some of you guys, you're still living in your past and your past is not your past if it's, if it's still having an impact in your present. Uh, it's, just, it's just not. That's still your present today. But I have a past and I remember it because I want to remember the grace and the mercy of God that he did in my life. Not so that I can relive those days, but so that I can remember not to make the same mistakes that I made. So I cannot fall into the same traps that I fell in before. And we all need to remember our past, but we can't continue to live in it. And some of you guys, you, you have some things in your past, and you're living in them in your present today. And God is saying, like, like, wake up. Like those wounds that you have, I'm trying to bind those up. But if you keep ripping the scabs off, and if you keep taking the bandages off, you're never going to get past your past. I'm trying to restore something, but you keep living there. Like, it's time to stop doing it. And it's time to remember it, but not live in it today. And some of you guys, you need to hear that today. And you need to remember that your, your past is going to help you to overcome the future failures that you're going to have. Because what God did before, he's going to do tomorrow, and he's going to do the next day, and he's going to overcome all of those things. That's why Paul said, man, he remembered that he's the greatest of sinners. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He said it in this verse, like, I'm public sinner number one. Not so that he can be like, man, I'm awesome at sinning, but so that he can be like, man, I remember what I was like and how God transformed me. And because God transformed me, I'm never going back to that because I've already made those mistakes and I'm going to move forward today. And for some of us here, we need to start moving forward today. We need to recognize that we've been forgiven so much, and because we've been forgiven so much, and we've been redeemed from so much, then, man, we need to love so much more. And we need to give that to every other person, because right now there's some people in your life that you're frustrated with, that you're just ticked off at because they're not getting it right, and you forget what you went through. And you need to remember that so you can extend that same grace and that same love to them in every aspect of your life. But don't stay in that pain and that shame and the brokenness of your past. Don't stay there. Extend that grace that you've received. Second thing I think is really important is to not live in the past. But the second thing is, is we've got to consistently connect with God. He says in verse 3, let us acknowledge the Lord. He's saying, man, let us... Let us be in relationship with God. Let us connect with God. He said, let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. Meaning, man, God is, God is waiting there for us to, to connect with him. He says, he will come to us like winter rains, like spring rains that water the earth. Like God is constantly wanting to connect with us. And this week as I was studying for some future series, I, I read some statistics that really messed with me. Um, and and it, they happen to do with relationships. And it said this, it said, the average married couple in America talks to one another a combined total of 27 minutes a week. The average couple in America cumulatively talks to each other 27 minutes a week. Like that to me was crazy. Then another one that kind of blew my mind was is they said the, the average couple will have the most conversations on their third date. And so if you're getting ready for your fourth date, don't be expecting much. And I started thinking about that. 27 minutes. Average couple who's, who says, man, I love you. Man, I want to give my life to you. Like, like, I, like I'll die for you. Like Brian Adams. 
never mind. That's going really old. Uh, not 27 minutes. Is there any, does it not make it so much more understandable why the failure rate of relationships is so high? And you start to think about that when you think about God saying like, hey, I want to have this relationship with you that's like a marriage relationship. Like, I want to connect with you on that same level. And you think, if God, if we're having cumulatively 27 minutes of conversation with somebody who's physically here on earth, like, what is our communication with, like, with our Heavenly Father? And a lot of you guys are going, like, I don't believe that. And, and, and here's where I'd kind of press you to, to, to the truth of that. I think that you have a lot of activity that you do together as a couple, but you don't have a lot of communication together as a couple. And I would say the same thing is true with our relationship with Jesus. We have a lot of activity for Jesus, but very little communication with Jesus. Like, man, we're serving and we're going to Bible studies and we're journaling and we're doing all this activity and none of those things are bad things. Those are all good things. Like, we encourage you to have those disciplines. But if your life is just full of activity and no time for relationship, are you really connecting with your Heavenly Father? Are you really connecting with God and with Jesus? Are you really, are you really in that intimate place that God is trying to bring us back to where we're walking with Him and we're talking with Him? I read this book like 10 years ago called, um, what is it called? Sacred, it's called Sacred, I know it's somewhere here, I wrote it in my notes so I wouldn't forgive it. forget it, Sacred Pathways um, by a guy named Gary Thomas, and, and this is what he said, he said, you know what, for so many of us, we've taken our relationship with God and made it cookie cutter. Um, you know, this, 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 everything should be good. We, we do all these activities. But how many of you guys know that God isn't in the cookie cutter business? Like, we're all individual. We're not the same. We all connect with God differently. And in this book, he talks about nine different ways that people connect with God. Um, and, and there might be 300 ways to connect with God, but I thought it was his point was really good. He said, you know what? Some people, they really connect with God in worship. You come in here and you sing some songs and you see those people, man, arms lifted high, screaming at the top of their lungs. Like, they are connected to Jesus right there. And then some of you guys, you walk in here and you stand there with your cup of coffee and you look at them and you're like, those people are cray, cray. Why? Because that's not the way you connect with God. And so that doesn't make any sense. There's others of you that you go on a walk, you go to a local park here, and you walk through the park. Man, everywhere you look and everywhere you turn, you see Jesus. You want to know why? Because you connect to God through nature. Me? I go to a park, I'm trying to find like a holiday inn, because like, that's connecting with God and nature. That's like really bad camping. Like, I don't connect with God that way. Like, I don't see God in nature. I see bugs and heat and 
uncomfortable. Like that, that sh- like McIvan back there, the guy that's taking pictures all the time, that dude, that, if we put him in the wilderness, he would never come back. Like he would just spend the wilderness with Jesus. Like that's where he connects with God. Yeah, you hear him. That's his, that's his amen right there. For me, man, I read my Bible. I see Jesus everywhere. I do. Man, I, I pick up this book and it's like, oh my gosh, Jesus is, like he's talking to me. Others of you, you pick this book up and you're like, I don't even know where to start. And like, why are they, why are they cutting foreskins and putting them on a wall? Like, it's like, they're, they're like, I don't know why I picked that verse. Okay. I, <laughs> but we connect differently. And I just want to encourage you to figure out how you connect. Figure out how you connect with God. You have the freedom to open up yourself to explore, like, how do I connect with my Heavenly Father? Do I connect with my Heavenly Father in a group of people, do, in, a, in a connect group? Some people really connect in a, or do I connect in, in, in a prayer setting? Do I connect out in nature? Do I connect in worship? Like, the disciplines, all of the disciplines are good. Don't say, like, because that's not how you connect. That's a bad thing. They're all good for us. But there's one that's best for you. And you've got to find out what that is and consistently connect with God. Then thirdly, you've got to live with the end in mind. You have to live with the end in mind. And Hosea 6.2 says, After two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will restore us, that we may live in His presence. That is the goal in restoration for all of us, that we would live in His presence. When I was seven years old, um, my parents got divorced. And one of those times in life that I didn't really understand, I didn't comprehend, um, if, if you your parents got divorced at a young age, man, it's one of the most confusing things as a child because you think it's your fault. It has nothing to do with you 99.9% of the time. But in your mind, it's like you did it. And I remember that when my parents got a divorce, my dad decided to move to a different city a couple hours away, and, and I, I went to go live with my dad. And I remember moving to this city and not knowing anyone and, and not having any friends and going to a brand new school. And I had a lot of, a lot of anger problems as a kid. Um, I got kicked out of a whole bunch of schools. Hence why I want to pull people out of cars and beat them up. Uh, it's probably something I'm still dealing with a little bit. Uh, <laughs> being a little transparent here. Um, but man, I was... More than anything, I, I, I wanted my dad's attention. Like my dad was my hero. And I always thought that how I'd get my dad's attention was through performance. Like, my dad would be proud of me because of how I performed. And because of all my social problems of fighting and anger and stuff, they thought sports would be a good outlet for me. And, and they put me in soccer. I don't know why they didn't put me in football right away. That probably would have been a lot, more be- a lot better for my aggression, but soccer it was. And, and I started playing soccer, and, and I loved it because I could just run, and you could slide tackle people, and that was okay. And, like anything to knock another kid down was like my mo. 
and, and we just dominated the soccer season. And my dad was helping coach. And we got to the end of the season. They always had a tournament. And so we roll up. We've, we're undefeated. We beat every team. Like, we've just dominated people over and over again. And so we're showing up as the number one seed. And we see this team that we just annihilated last time. It was like Germany versus Brazil in the World Cup. Like, that's how bad it was. It was like they never wanted to show their face in their home country again. Um, and so, like, we, I, I, we roll up there, and we're, we were cocky. We had this attitude. And midway through the game at, at halftime, we were down a couple goals to nothing. We're like, oh, man, we're going to come back. And we started coming back in the second half, and we ended up losing 4-3. to three. And I remember at the end of that game, walking back to the car with my dad. And I don't know why this is so vivid in my mind. And I remember him just having his arm around me. And I must have been shaking so bad that, that he looked down and he, and he goes, Squirt? My dad called me Squirt. So, um, do you ever call me Squirt? I will punch you. Um, I go, he goes, Squirt? Is everything all right? And I remember just looking up at my dad and just like tears running down my face and going, Dad, I'm so sorry we didn't win. I'm so sorry I didn't score enough goals to win the game. And I didn't really understand in the moment. Everything that was happening, but I remember my dad just being like, Son, it doesn't matter how many goals you, goals you score. I'm going to love you no matter what. Like, my love for you isn't based on your performance. My love for you is based on your position as my son. Like, it doesn't matter how you perform in this life. You are always going to be my son. And therefore, you are always going to be loved. But then my dad also knew something else that I didn't really understand at AJ is that we were in a double elimination tournament, which meant we had another game to play no matter what. This is what I know about some of you. Some of you are walking along and you're leaning into God and God's got his arm around you and you're looking up to him and you're saying, God, I, I've just screwed up so many things in my life. I've messed up my marriage. My finances are just jacked up. I've got this addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography or, man, I, I, I don't trust or, man, I've, this has happened in my life. And you, you're thinking that, that God's not going to accept you because of your performance. And I just want to tell you here today that God has got his arm around you and he's looking at you and he's saying, son or daughter, my love for you is not based on what you can do for me. Your, my love for you is based on who you are to me. And you will always be my kid. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how far you run, you are always my child. And some of you, you need to hear that today. See, because... There was another time when hope was lost and darkness was around. 
It isn't the first day that people have been in darkness and lost hope. There was a day, two days in where all hope was lost. And a man lay lifeless in a tomb. But let me just tell you something. There was a third day that was coming. And God does his best work on the third day. God does the most restorative work in people's lives on the third day. And on the third day, that man came back. And he restored relationship to humanity. He redeemed humanity. And let me tell you something. No matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are in the restoration process, you might be in the first day, you might be in the second day, but there will always be a third day. And when that third day comes, that third day is going to end it all for all of us where we're all going to experience the fullness of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And if we'll just continue to look towards the end, if we'll just continue to go after the future, if we'll just continue to keep that in mind that man is just around the corner we will never lose hope in the midst of what we're going through and today some of you guys need to grab hold of hope you need to grab hold of jesus christ our cornerstone the one that holds it all together and let me tell you something he's here today and he's been pursuing you he's been running after you and he's just waiting for you to just accept him and surrender to him but that's the choice you have to Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. And I know that there's so many of us that we go through life and it's so easy to run to other things to find love, to find significance, to find worth, to find value in. I mean, we've all chased after them. We could think we find that in a relationship or, or in a successful business or having kids that perform the right way. But at the end of the day, those things all leave us feeling empty inside because they're never going to fill the void that only you can fill. And you've been pursuing us from the very beginning to restore us to this place where we would walk with you and we would talk with you. And I just pray that today that we wouldn't hold back any longer on you, Jesus. That we would choose you. That we would surrender to you today. And that you would do an amazing work inside of each and every one of us. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen.